please take your seats and join us. The date is Friday, September 20th, and you're in store for the next episode of the show about film and television trivia. Should I sit over here? Yeah, Gertie, there's a chair for you. Oh, thanks. Welcome back, Gertie. It's so oh, good to have you, you hi. here. Hi, hi DJ. Hi. Uh, hi, Toppy. Hi. Yeah. Uh, uh, folks, this is our concession lady, as we like to call her. Can't you think of anything better to call me? Sheesh. I don't know, <laughs> DJ, can we? I'd bad that. It's the best we could come up with. Well, you know, I would have had the band queue up Hello, Dolly, but, um, well, they had the night off. <laughs> hey, your hubby's online. Yes, it in looks, the chat room. Looks like we have a couple of folks joining in here, and uh, they're taking well, their seats. Hi, Billy. He's kind of sexy. Ah, do you think so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hands right. off, lady. That's mine. He's mine. Oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, we're uh, 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 very pleased to have you back, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gertie. Uh, I am so sorry about the whole stare thing. I see you've got the cast off. Sure do. I'm as good as new. And uh, DJ and I are really, really, really sorry about that whole Stutzy thing. Uh, that was just somehow the wrong move. Uh, the poster on the wall should have given us a, a heads up, but I don't know. We both missed it. Well, I guess I'll forgive you guys this time on account. You don't know our history, but, uh, you know, seriously, you were moving into some dark territory with that girl. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it's a small town, so I, I hope that we can uh, make bygones be bygones, and that's just bridge under the water, but, you know, stranger things happen in these small towns. So, folks, uh, we are brought together tonight by a love of film and television trivia. This is Matinee Minutia, and it is September 20th. Now, in just a day or two here, we are entering into a new season. We are entering into, I'm sorry, Gertie, fall, um, <laughs> autumn, yeah. uh, known to others. So, Toppy, how are you tonight, sir? Uh, very well. Very excited about tonight's movie, Obscura. And uh, even I haven't even heard of this one. Uh, it is obscure. Uh, but oh, uh, the fall, autumn, my favorite time of year. So I, I miss not uh, the hot, humid days. I'm totally down with it. Yes. And uh, Mr. Smelly was kind enough to bring Hubby, and, Hubby Billy and I a, uh, a hosting gift when he came by Chateau Star Sage last weekend, he brought us our first pumpkin of the season. Oh, wow. That's nice, Toppy. Oh, thanks. Uh, shucks, you know. Um, where's Maybe. my pumpkin? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, there's the Me Too movement, and I wasn't sure that was work-appropriate, pumpkin. Um, so, Toppy. By the way, just uh, briefly, mm-hmm. let's tell folks the special little thing we did over the weekend in terms of cinema uh, on Sunday. What did you, me, and Tommy in the chat room see and your hubby, Billy, see? The four of us saw this movie. Wait till you get a load of this, Tootsie. I mean, Toots. 
<laughs> yes, and for those of you listening to the download of this, uh, one of our regulars in the chat room is a classic film fan, and uh, they're known as Toots in the chat room. So if you hear us say Toots, we're not necessarily talking to Gertie. We no. are interacting with our audience that has gathered here tonight. <laughs> So, yes, we took in a viewing of this film tonight on the Freddie Memorial Theater. That's our big screen in the living room, and it was quite a treat. Now, um, you know... Oh, that's not the movie I was talking about. On Sunday, we went to the cinema. Oh, I'm sorry. Backpedaling. Yeah, we we went to the movies, and we saw the 40th, was it 45th? 40th? 40th. 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 Oops. <laughs> 40th anniversary of Star Trek The Motion Picture. The, I think, the first movie made from a TV series. Uh, can well, that possibly be? I or maybe it's sure. just one of the most successful movies, series, is made from a TV series. Because it's, cool. you know, it spawned an entire series of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, you guys are nerds. You actually paid money for that. <laughs> yes, we did. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, forty years, isn't it? Well, um, anyways, we uh, we probably should begin our, our little begin our little program tonight, DJ. Okay. So let's, uh, you know, Gertie, could you uh, please uh, make your way down to the stage because we we need to get this show on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Anyways, nice to be back. Oh, there she goes. <laughs> She's always so cooperative. Hey, bitches. I'm back. <laughs> For good. This is Gertie, the concession stand lady. And let me tell you, the boys have picked an obscure one tonight. Francesca is the pregnant widow of a Vietnam veteran. While visiting her Midwestern in-laws, she uncovers some shocking truths while lurking about the family's sprawling estate. This one has frosty looks and Midwestern winter vistas, homespun looks, and psycho shut-ins. Catch this 1972 suspense thriller starring Patty Duke, in only her second film role since her self-titled TV series. All right, boys, hit it! What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen, a pinch of golden oldies, and a smidgen of screaming? It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Well, howdy-do, Mr. Smelly. It's, uh... Just a touch before fall, and here we are back at the beautiful, historic Marionette Theater to talk about our great love of film and television trivia. And as our senior showgirl mentioned, we're going to be discussing a film from 1972. So Yes, uh, one of my favorites. Can't tell you where I ran across it, or why, or, or even when. Um, but ever since I saw it, I just really, I've never forgotten it. I don't know why. And uh, before we actually get into the program, if you could let the listeners know who we have in our chat room. 
Yes, joining us tonight, uh, live in our Discord chat room, we have your hubby, Billy. We have our good friend, Tommy. And we have Toots. And DJ, you describe Toots as one person or is it a group? Well, Toots is a gentleman who is a classic film fan. He's a member of a Baltimore area classic film uh, group. And uh, I have it on good authority that he has a collection of movie memorabilia. But uh, Toots is the uh, uh, nickname of a, a, a dearly beloved departed family member. So it's in memory of his grandmother. So he uh, makes his way across the Internet under her guise of Toots. Oh. Very nice, Grandma Toots. And uh, <laughs> we'll give you a round of applause because this is our your second appearance in our audience. Yes, indeed. And uh, if you would like to join us in the future uh, live, um, you just need to head on over first to univazpods.net, uh, open up Discord, um, and... And uh, get involved with us here in the chat room live as we stream. So as we uh, begin the discussion on tonight's film, we like to do a little thing we call setting the stage. And this tells us about what was going on in the world at the time of this film's release. So here we go. It's the U.S. history in 1972. In 72, President Nixon orders the development of a space shuttle program. Bob Douglas became the first African-American elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. The 92nd U.S. Congress voted to send the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. Okinawa is returned to Japan after 27 years of United States military occupation. They weren't even allowed to have their own military. Oh, gosh. Now, when we had it, where did we put it? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> In our pocket, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So also, this is a very important local piece of history. Now, for those of you who didn't grow up here in the Northeast, like Mr. Smelly and I, you probably aren't aware of a little uh, disaster that took place. Maybe not so little. Hurricane Agnes. Now, as the naming scheme goes, the beginning of the hurricane season starts off the alphabet. So Agnes was one of the first storms of the year. And Hurricane Agnes, which uh, it, it formed north of the Yucatan Peninsula and, and Gulf of Mexico there, it ravaged the east coast. It dropped up to nine feet of water in New York's southern tier. That's the part of New York that borders on northern Pennsylvania. And uh, in my old stomping grounds, the Elmira and Corning area. Now, some of you may know Elmira was the home of Hal Roach, the man who uh, created such uh, series as Laurel and Hardy. Well, Elmira Corning area, it's uh, bordered on a tributary of the Susquehanna. This is sort of the Mississippi of the East. It runs down through the east part of Pennsylvania, through Harrisburg, and eventually into the Chesapeake. Well, the local part of that is called the Chemung River. Area businesses to this day have markers designating water levels during the landmark flood. 
be widespread widespread flooding from the storm caused Agnes to be called the most destructive hurricane in United States history, claiming 117 lives and causing damage to an estimated 3.1 billion. Um, do you think it still holds that or, or did uh, Katrina? I'm just wondering if that's old uh, information. I'm, sh- I'm sure that at the time that it was the biggest, I'm, okay. you know, and, and certainly by now it's been, you know, surpassed, but quite an epidemic, you know, uh, growing up that was often talked about. Everyone knew where they were during the flood of 72. Mm-hmm. You can see many downtown pictures. I mean, a lot of businesses in that area had to move and the ones that chose to stay actually changed their buildings. Like you see in the South a lot, some buildings are made on stilts in areas that are prone to flooding. There are businesses in the Elmira Corning area that um, basically beefed up their structure in case another flood ever happened. Goodness. Um, Quick story. I I have some vivid memories. Um, at the time, my parents and I were living at my grandmother and grandfather's house, um, <clears throat> right at the end of Lake Cayuga. And uh, I, I remember the power going out, and we uh, lit the old family kerosene lamp and sat in the dining room, and the house was just rattling. I just That's what I remember, is the house just uh, rattling in the wind. <clears throat> and then the other memory I have is just going to downtown Pickle Hollow and, uh, and being in the city and um, the water was above the sidewalks in a lot of areas. So, yeah, that's what I remember about Toots in the uh, chat room says uh, he remembers uh, it flooding where he was. Hmm. So rounding out the history in 1972, uh, in 12 states, Furman, oh, sorry, uh, that was the ending of that last one. Um, Furman versus Georgia, the Supreme Court of the United States rules that the death penalty is unconstitutional in 72. And the first women are admitted to Dartmouth College. This is a a legendary college of the Northeast. And women are allowed to compete in the Boston Marathon for the first time in 72. Say how progressive. Um, Well, good, good, good. Um, Thank you, DJ. Celebrity uh, births. I think that's all we have. Uh, this time around, a celebrity birth. So 1972 um, was uh, the uh, dawning of the age of Jennifer Garner, an actress. For She was in Pearl Harbor. Catch me if you can. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Uh, he was in The Mummy Returns. He was in Get Smart, Jumanji, the remake. Uh, uh, a lot of a, a lot of things. Uh, also, uh, I. Tavia Spencer, um, she was in The Help. She was in Hidden Figures. Um, also born that year, John Cho. Now, a side and- note on Mr. Cho oh, is yes. he's been in a few things, including the newer Star Trek movies made by J.J. Abrams in the role of Hikaru Sulu. Ooh, yes. Um, 
Very good. Because um, I did not know who John Joe was. <laughs> uh, actually, to be honest with you, I didn't know who Jennifer Garner was. <laughs> or... Uh, um, well, Jennifer Garner these days, sister. yeah, I think these days Jennifer Garner does a lot of cosmetics commercials, and she's also the spokesperson for Capital One uh, after Alec Baldwin shot his mouth off. Okay. Well, and just to round it up, I know the next three, uh, also born in that year, Ben Affleck, Cameron Diaz, and Gwyneth Paltrow. And in 1972, DJ, what was competing with our movie? You'll, I think we haven't even mentioned the title yet. You'll Like My Mother is the name of what we're doing tonight. Yeah. And also in theaters uh, the same year. What do we got, DJ? Well, you know, the the, um, the the facts and figures from more than a couple of decades ago are, are a little harder to find. But in 72, some of the other films that came out that year, the top of the box office, maybe no surprise to you, Mr. Smelly, because you're a fan of Irwin Allen. Number one that year was The Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, baby. Don't watch no Kurt Russell remake. Get out there and watch the original. It scored $93 million at the box office. Now, uh, the number two that year was uh, Sweet Mamaw's favorite, Barbara Streisand in What's Up, Doc? Oh, my God. I love that movie. That one made so hard. <laughs> made $57 million. And then uh, lastly, but not least, number three was Deliverance. Talk about creepy. That one made $46 million and uh, you, you wanted to sleep with one eye open. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that really was um, a shocking movie for its day and uh, holds up pretty damn good, actually. I, did, I saw it not too long ago. And um, it's a, an early role with, with Bert, uh, I want to say Bert Lancaster, but <laughs> no, that's not who he was. Um, well, this, you know. this is going to be rather obscure, but I know the actor was that was in that was in a movie in more recent years called Secondhand Lions that I think had Macaulay Culkin in it, and then, oh. um, and then in the nineties he was in uh, Talk About to, to Six Degrees of Separation, the Kevin Bacon you know game. He was in the movie with Ben Affleck. He was in Armageddon. He was he played a uh, a retired astronaut. So I wonder if you're thinking of John Voight. Anyways, I remember now. It's, of course, Burt Reynolds. Duh. Mm-hmm. That's the I'm thinking of. And John Voight starred in it. And uh, anyways, uh, let's talk a little bit about the cast. Certainly. Um, uh, you'll like my mother. Uh, first of all, we got Patty Duke, uh, who is no longer with us. But she was born in New York City and started acting as a child. We know a lot about her because um, of some books that she wrote about her life, and uh, she was very public about her unhappy childhood, um, which involved her being turned over to the care of her talent agent by the age of eight, um, and her home life um, was was pretty bad, and uh uh, I guess um, the the transfer over to the talent agent um, led to some sexual abuse, and um, 
Well, an introduction to dependency on alcohol and prescription medication. So the poor gal, uh, not to mention the fact uh, that she um, would go on to develop uh, something that we used to call manic depression. What do we call it now, DJ? There's I a new word for it. I think it's bipolar disorder. Okay, that's probably it. Anyways, uh, she began her career in a 50 soap opera. She must have been pretty darn uh, young. It was called Brighter Day. Um, and by 12, she was on a game show, uh, the $64,000 question. And her first big break came from her uh, Academy Award winning performance at the age of 16 for portraying Helen Keller in The Miracle Worker. That was a movie with Anne Bancroft, 1962. And Bancroft and uh, uh, Patty Duke um, originated those roles on Broadway. At least Patty Duke was on Broadway. And I'm not exactly sure now if Anne Bancroft was on the Broadway version. She might have been pulled in for her uh visibility name recognition but i think both of them did it on broadway uh the following year age 17 she was given her own tv show called the patty duke show <laughs> um, she was 21 when she starred in a controversial little ditty valley of the dolls a movie from 1967 kind of about the suburban wasteland of uh, uh, drug abuse. And um, it wasn't kind of like it wasn't too much of a stretch for her to play. It was uh, almost, uh, you know, real life. Yeah. And uh, and then finally, uh, five years after Valley of the Dell, she did You Like My Mother. Um, and also... To her credit, she was the second woman to serve as president of the Screen Actors Guild. That was from 85 to 88. Uh -huh. Jane, there's another a wonderful actress in this movie. Um, tell us about Rosemary Murphy. Oh, goodness. Now, I know that Rosemary Murphy is a legend in her own right, of course, because uh, before she was in... the. Uh, You'll like my mother. She was in a little film called To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, I've been told that she plays quite a different character in that film. She's basically likable. And that was done about uh, a decade before You'll Like My Mother. Now, she's a German-born actress. She's most well-known for that role in To Kill a Mockingbird. And two years later, after 72, she would star alongside bewitched star Elizabeth Montgomery in a film called A Case of Rape, where I believe she played an attorney. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was a made-for-TV movie? Oh, I would, I would imagine so, with a TV star like Elizabeth Montgomery. Probably. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting. Rosemary Murphy plays a most unlikable person in <laughs> our movie. You'll like my mother. Uh, and um, to her credit, I mean, she is instantly unlikable in this movie. And in To Kill a Mockingbird, she is in instantly lovable. Uh, so it's the same actress, but um, 
she does a great job in both roles. Uh, this is uh, Rose. Um, this role in You'll Like My Mother is a much larger role than she had in To Kill a Mockingbird. So um, uh, also the third uh, major actor, this is a very small cast in this movie, Richard Thomas, John Boy from The Waltons. I wanted to be John Boy when I was a kid. Anyways, DJ, tell us a few things about Richard Thomas while I turn on my cough button and cough. Okay. So while Toppy's grabbing a, uh, a breath of fresh air here. Mr. Richard Thomas, who was also a, a television star like Miss Patty Duke, he was born in 51 and uh, he, in New York as well. So, uh, you know, he and Patty they had a few things to talk about. Uh, same neighborhood, maybe. He began acting in theater by the age of seven. And he's best known, of course, for his role of John Boy in the Waltons. And he won an Emmy Award and received nominations for another. And he received two Golden Globes in 72. He played against type as murderer and rapist, spoilers, Kenneth Kinsolving in tonight's right. film, You'll Like My Mother, opposite Patty Duke, of course. Jay, I did not catch this because I don't know if Patty Duke's last name um, in this movie was ever said, but let's take uh, Kenneth Kinsolving. Do you think that's an accident? Kinsolving. This is a movie about Patty Duke uh, solving a mystery about her kin. Oh. Is yeah. that weird? That can't be just like, <laughs> oh, no, call this character. I know. Uh, la dee la Kinsolving. Uh, oh, no, her name is uh, Francesca. Francesca Kinsolving. What the hell? You know, and that's another thing, too. Okay, I'm just going to say it. I like to think that the way the characters are named in this, certainly the young lady played by Patty Duke in only her second film role since her TV show, she's sort of breaking out of type because, you know, everyone from the generation had simple names like Mary and Betty and Susie. What do you get in 1972? Well, of course, Patty Duke's character is a little sophisticated. She's basically playing her cousin on her TV show. So she's not Franny. She's not Francis even. She's Francesca. Oh. Um, so let's just go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to tell you a little more, more about Mr. Richard Thomas, but would you like to take over on that? Oh, all right. So Richard Thomas, what, what else would you know him from? Well, he did a great TV miniseries on Stephen King's It that a lot of people remember him from. More recently, he played a character in a spy thriller, uh, FX's The Americans. Um, Long before that, um, he was doing some uh, classic characters. He was uh, Henry Fleming in The Red Badge of Courage, and he was Paul Bomber in uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. And... uh, At the height of his uh, fame on the Waltons, he uh, decided to leave the show because 
he thought of himself as a leading man and it was time to do movies. And um, the first one he did was in 1977. It was called September 30th, 1955. Talk about obscure. <laughs> this movie came to the theaters and left the same day. Uh, it just didn't get advertised right or it, <laughs> nobody knew how to advertise it. Um, it concerns a uh, an Arkansas college student, uh, John Boy. Uh, John Boy. No, I'm sorry. That's not right. <laughs> Richard Thomas. Um, he plays a character named Jimmy J. And uh, the movie takes place on September 30th, 1955, which is the date that James Deke was killed in a car accident. And uh, he watches the film East of Eden alone in the theater. And the next day at football practice, he hears the film story. James Dean has been killed. The rest of the movie is about kind of the aftermath. It's a very period piece. I went to the damn theater and saw it, and I thought it was great. It was a great movie. It was directed by uh, James Bridges, who's a popular actor and who's directed a few things. Anyways, Richard Thomas thought for sure that his career was going to take off and unfortunately (laughs) never recovered from the box office bomb, September 30th, 1955. A shame because it was a good movie. And ladies and Uh, gentlemen, you have an example of how Mr. Smilly won the role of my co-host. That was on his interview answers and his resume. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, now here uh, that movie was like (sighs) really good but 19 (laughs) just to show where richard thomas's career went after that bomb in 1980 he appeared as shad a young farmer entrusted to employ mercenaries to save his planet from Sador and his invading forces. I am, of course, speaking of that famous movie, Battle Beyond the Stars. (laughs) Holy Jesus. Oh, you know, I mean, um, I'm not a talent agent. I've never worked with people who've been in film or television, but I can't help but notice that some celebrities, some talents have, have made that decision that I'm going to leave my long-running TV show and I'm going to be a film star. And, well, I'm still looking for examples of those who made it successful. Uh, to its credit, I'll just say Richard Thomas will, uh, looks back on his life now and admits that he his ego was bursting at the seams because of his stardom in the Waltons. And he admits this now. He says he was terrible to everyone. His uh, genes were, I mean, he was just such an obnoxious young movie star who had it all. And he admits this and he's, he likes, looks back and says, Oh my God, I was just a terrible person at that time. <laughs> no, and but- uh, he's since gone on to do tons of other things, mostly on TV and also successfully in the theaters. Oh. I mean, uh, not the theaters, but I mean uh, on uh, Broadway and such. Now, before we get on to the, uh, the folks that made this film, the creative team, 
Uh, we've reached about the halfway mark of this show, so uh, we have a little something we'd like to play for you, Toppy. Would you like to introduce this? Yeah. Um, so this is a, a portion of an interview with uh, Patty Duke, and in it she talks about uh, mental illness. Who? at a time when she was very outspoken and and really she ended up devoting most of the latter years of her life to um m- making people understand uh, mental illness and removing uh, the stigma behind it and perhaps you, you could say this was really her most important work so here she is talking candidly about her own experiences Okay, and uh, if if you uh, have heard the interview before, if maybe you need to visit Little Half Moon House, this is your chance. It's about three-ish minutes, and then we'll be back. You were diagnosed. Was it called bipolar disorder no, then, or no. the doctor said or to what me, do they call it? The doctor said to me, "Don't be afraid. I think you're manic depressive." My reaction was, "Thank God, it has a name." That meant to me that that. I'm not the only one. They wouldn't have a name for it if I was the only one. Well, you've been going through this since you were a child, right? And really, really didn't know. Really, did I, you, think, did people... I think Miracle Worker, I think there were bipolar things going on only in retrospect, but they worked for the part. And it sounds like when you talked about when you were visiting with Sidney Sheldon before the Patty Duke show, that he observed the two That's sides of you. Observed. Was that res- yes. related? So did lithium evened you out, basically? Yes. And, and um, up until that time, were people, uh, were, were, were people that were close to you, were they aware of the kind of the, the moods or the different, oh, you know, the kind yes. of ups and downs? Oh, yeah. But no one knew what it really was no. until this time. And I would not accept... Uh, professional help. I was fine. Everybody else was crazy. So at this point in 82, you hadn't gone public with it yet, right? That no. was later. But no. did the industry, the people you worked with, did they people know? People that I worked with knew. Okay. But I didn't know how many people outside of that, of course, what is it? You talk to one person, you talk to 20 right. or whatever. And of course, we weren't in the days of TMZ back then, so things could be, you know, kind of controlled better. Information could be controlled. Yeah. But what was the general reaction of the industry? I mean, in terms of after you got I don't treated? Know. I don't know. I didn't really notice an instant drop-off of employment. I didn't even notice that after my book was published about being... A, well, a chronicle and about bipolar. It was important to me. I figured I must have this for a reason. And I'm supposed to tell people about it. That comes from my, from the origins of my mother and father. And I felt if I kept it a secret... It would be like a scientist keeping a secret. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I have spent 30 years in the field, uh, traveling the country, talking, having one-on-ones with people as well as groups. Um, The biggest problem still in all these years is stigma. 
And we are back. <clears throat> yep, that's uh, uh, was a cause near and dear to her heart that she uh, <clears throat> really uh, occupied uh, the remainder of her life after she kind of. Um, because of her age, you know, Hollywood, we don't want actresses uh, that don't like they're 21 years old. So, And on um, a side note of that, uh, you know, it's been about possibly three years since we lost Patty Duke. Um, her son, Sean Astin, has been a champion of these issues in her absence. And um, I was just listening to the radio the other day, and apparently... Sean Astin has uh, come into the attention of the media recently because, well, uh, in the interest of national security, the current administration has considered it possible it might be a good idea to start paying attention to people's personal assistance. You know, those speakers we have in our houses now that will play things like our show? And, um, you know, help people out on their smartphones when they want to order stuff. Um, The government thinks that it might be a good idea to start paying attention to those things because you might be witness to red flags, certain key words that um, the folks who aren't stable might uh, have as part of their conversation. And uh, it might let us know where you are because, you know... Uh, people who aren't balanced, well, they cause riots and the like. And Sean Astin uh, got up and spoke on behalf of those with mental illness in his mother's absence and said, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't pursue this. People who have mental illness have enough trouble being able to get help. And because part of that is being able to have the courage to come forward and to admit that you have a problem, that you need help, and singling people out by listening to our smart speakers and our devices is just going to make people more paranoid. I should think so. Uh, Toots in the chat room ask, was Patty Duke married to John Aston, uh, and is, is that the father of Sean? Uh, uh, that's a good question. Do you know the answer to that, Toppy? I don't. I don't. I, I think I glossed over the marriage stuff. Okay. Well, I. it's my understanding that Patty Duke was married possibly three times, maybe four. But um, her second marriage was to actor uh, John Aston from the Adams oh. Family fame. And no kidding. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, I cannot picture them together. Oh, goodness. Now, they, they, I think, got divorced sometime during the 80s. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, John Aston was a father figure to Patty's children, to Sean Aston, and at a point, Sean actually believed that John was his father, but later on it was revealed through a paternity test that um, one of Patty Duke's other suitors was actually the father. Oh, Wow. Whew, you heard it here, folks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that we just broke the uh, news on that story. TG, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to the creative team now that we've talked about the cast. Sure. Why don't you start with the, the director? 
And that's Lamont Johnson. What can you tell us about him? All right. Well, Mr. Lamont Johnson has made a few things. Now, uh, he specialized in television, so it's not going to be a lot of Oscar-winning things that you've heard of, uh, you know, film stars in. But that might explain how he got TV uh, stars like Patty Duke and uh, Richard Thomas in his movies. And uh, he is an Emmy winner. He won an Outstanding Directing for Miniseries, Movie, or Dramatic Special. And in the earlier days of his career, he directed eight episodes of the classic 60s Twilight Zone. And uh, Mr. uh, Mr. Johnson is no longer with us. He's passed possibly more than a decade ago now. But as of 2000, at the end of his career, he had 84 directing credits, and most of them were in television. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I tried to find a a theatrical release that he had directed, and I think our movie tonight, You'll Like My Mother, is the only one. So he really was connected to television. And I almost wonder if this movie was designed to be a made-for-TV movie that someone said, you know, this is so good, we should put it in the theaters. I almost wonder. I could not find anything to verify that's true. Uh, But if you watch this movie, it plays very much like a made-for-TV movie. Um, Could not find a damn thing to find out if that was true or not. Now, uh, since the information about uh, box office returns is uh, so scarce from that time frame, uh, I would venture to guess that uh, based on other films we like, this probably wasn't a top performer. But no, <laughs> but we I do know that they uh, they actually timed this rather well for its release because you'll like my mother came out in October of seventy two so if you're a fan of creepy houses and uh, in laws you can't stand and uh, dead of winter stories you'll like my mother is definitely right up there yes indeed I agree I think it succeeds. Uh, on that level. And DJ, this is a perfect time to play the original trailer that you would have seen uh, in the theaters. Okay. And I am dealing with 2019 technology here. So one sec, let me get to the trailer. Do, 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 do. Okay. No. Please don't lock me in. You like my mother, a thriller. <laughs> Why did they fear Francesca's baby? You like my mother, a thriller. Run, Francesca, run for your life. You like my mother, a thriller, rated PG. <laughs> I think they wanted you to know it was a thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hysterical. Well, you know, with, with Patty Duke and it, you have to wonder, I mean, is this going to be a cute and charming comedy about, uh, you know, wholesome people? Good point. Good point. Yeah, this was definitely not like that. Um, let's, uh, let's mention also that it is based on a novel written by Naomi A. Hintz. 
and her novel was published in 1969. It was her first novel, You'll Like My Mother. She was nominated for Best First Novel, the Edgar Award, um, <clears throat> for You'll Like My Mother. And um, folks over there in the United Kingdom, uh, that book had a different title over there. It was called The House with the Watching Eyes. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Her last novel was Dream of Falling, and that was 1983. She sadly passed away of cancer. Oh, uh, Toppy, be careful. You don't want to mention falling around Gertie. Oh, right. Uh, good point, DJ. Um, now, DJ, do we know much more about this? She was fascinated by psychic phenomena. Do you know much, any more about it? I don't. I wonder if she's the type that goes to those seances and such. It could have been. Could have been. Um, <clears throat> uh, she wrote a total of seven novels. Now, the music, um, I'd like to ballyhoo just a little bit because this guy has credits that I dig. Um, his name is Gil Millet. And he was a jazz musician and film composer. Um, also a painter and a sculptor, so quite the artiste. Hmm. Uh, let's give you, uh, well, I'll just tell you, first of all, he was one of the first composers to use <clears throat> self-built electronic instruments, either alone or as an added voice among the string, wind, brass, and percussion sections of the orchestra. He was the first to compose a main theme for an American television series, arranged entirely with electronic instruments. Any guesses? Uh, chat, <laughs> chat room, <laughs> this is your chance to win a tip of Toppy's top hat. If you know the TV series that had, was the first that was entirely done with electronic instruments, <gasps> uh, the year would have been, oh, crap, um, I think like 72. Four seventy three. If uh, if it's the one I'm thinking of, Toppy, it was actually in the sixties. Um, uh, now, for the record, folks, although Toppy and I pass notes and study all here, the answer to this is not on the notes. So, uh, I will wait and see if the chat room has any guesses before I throw my hat into the ring. Um, yeah, uh, it was in color. Uh, you might be well. You're. Well, we'll we'll leave it right there for now. Maybe someone will come up with it. Um, now, uh, his his music uh, work is is in over a hundred movies, but listen to some of these because they are are in genre movies that I love. The Andromedia Strain, <gasps> Andromeda. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you, Andromeda. It's one of my uh, favorites. You have to pronounce it right. <laughs> it's one of your favorite movies? Yes. Kidding. Mm. 1971. Uh, directed by Robert Wise, I believe. Um, also, uh, besides You'll Like My Mother, she did. Uh, uh, he did The Sentinel, um, a kind of spooky movie, 1977. He did Starship Invasions, also in 77. Blood Beach in 81. Uh, and he did a lot of TV movies. 
um, that certain summer in 72. Uh, the president's plane is missing in 73. Now, this next credit. Oh, my God. Someday we're going to do this movie on the show. Actually, it was a made-for-television two-night movie event. It was called Frankenstein, The True Story, 1973, with Michael Cesarin as the monster. Oh, my God, people. Anyways, he did the music for that. Also, a wonderful, fun movie called Killdozer. <laughs> Killdozer! I love it. This is my kind of guy. All right. Uh, let's see. Is there anything? Uh, the Curse of King Tut's Tomb. Um, also, he did a lot of music uh, for the TV series Columbo. And also, he developed the theme song for Cold Check, The Night Stalker. And uh, he did a lot of episodes uh, uh, scoring the $6 million man. I'm telling you right there. <sighs> oh, doesn't I just love him. I just love him. <laughs> at least, at least, <laughs> at least one of those titles sounds familiar. I do believe you mentioned Killdozer when we discussed uh, Duel. Yes, Killdozer was uh, inspired, uh, you know, certainly was... Uh, uh, inspired by duel <laughs> anyways oh my god um let's talk a little bit about uh you uh i've i think that was the third time when you and i screened it uh, mm -hmm. with, with tommy um at uh, uh, the star sage uh, palatial estates on your huge giant uh movie screen that comes down from the ceiling <laughs> uh i'm not kidding folks anyways um DJ, I think that was the first time you saw it? Yeah, that was the first time I saw You'll Like My Mother, and I was so desperate to see it, because it's not on streaming, folks, that I had to get my hot little hands on a copy. But mm. but uh, it, it was quite the experience watching it, because, you know, it is set in the 70s, and it has a gorgeous house in it. I mean, this is a historic estate, and in fact... The, the Gleason, I think, is the name of the state, is um, something like a 20,000-square-foot house, and it's on the banks of Lake Superior. And to this day, the University of Minnesota maintains the property uh, because it's on the historic registry there. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me just back up. Toots seems to be asking, uh, did, the, did Johnny Williams uh do the music oh oh they're guessing duh they're guessing um oh my god let's just stop right now tommy guessed it he did yeah tommy guessed the night gallery as uh gil millier's uh, uh first it was the first tv theme song and done entirely with electronic instruments rod serling's the Night Gallery. Uh, oh. Congratulations, Tommy. Now, for the record, what year is that from, Toppy? <laughs> I don't have it, I, but it's like 73. Okay. Well, I, I will indulge you with my answer since it's probably wrong. But yeah. my guess was going to be the theme to Doctor Who. And I, I understand that's technically not right because they didn't electronically produce the theme to the original Doctor Who. What they did was they recorded the sound of a, uh, a piano striking a key, 
and they reversed it. Ah, okay. Um, no, that would not be one of his credits. So that belongs to someone else. Yeah. So, uh, Anyways, but, uh, Tommy says uh, Night Gallery uh, came out in seventy one. Okay, but yes, we have us this palatial estate. It's on the National Register Historic Places on Lake Superior, and that's where you like my mother is set. It's uh, of course in the film. It's the kin kin solving estate. Now, Toppy, I watched it again recently, and I picked up on some things. Now, mm -hmm. folks, this film is uh, well. It is about forty five years old. So I hope that you will watch it no matter what we tell you about here. I'm, I'm going to try to avoid spoilers, Toppy. I'll just skirt around the subject if you catch I, my meaning. Like, yeah, let's not uh, have any spoilers. So, so knowing what I do after having seen it once, it makes a little bit more sense the earlier parts of the film because this young woman is arriving in this town that she doesn't know anyone and everyone is kind of being... Um, they're, they're dancing around the subject. You know, the bus driver is like, oh, yeah, the, the kin solvings, you know, the, the kin solving estate. Okay. Yeah, clearly know the name. And by their expression, they're not happy or there's something about that name that doesn't bring happy thoughts to them. That's for sure. And, um, you know, the, the title of the movie, You'll Like My Mother, it's, it's a very conversational title because, you know, that, that's one of those things that you say to someone. Maybe you've met that certain someone and things are going well and now it's time to meet the parents. And what do you say to them to convince them to go along with it? It's like, well, you'll, you'll like my mother. You should meet her. Right. And that's what her husband told her. Uh, before he died in Vietnam, um, he said, you'll, you'll, you'll like my mother. And that gave uh, Francesca the idea that now that she's pregnant uh, uh, with uh, her husband's child, that it, it would be a good time to go meet the other side of the family. And um, boy, was she in for a surprise, huh? She was. Now, again, no spoilers, but... Um, it, it's no secret that she learns that he has a sister. And the only thing that I'll say about this character is she is, uh, led to believe that there's something different about her. Maybe she has some sort of, uh, an injury or she's disabled, but we're led to believe that this young woman who is the main character's daughter, sister-in-law, um, is not fully, you know, in charge of her faculties. And um, I'm not so sure that this was a condition she was born with. And if you get a chance to catch You'll Like My Mother, folks, um, I, I think you, you might have grounds to, to think about that. <laughs> what do you say, Toppy? Well, I think I hadn't thought of it, um, but it's entirely possible that she wasn't born with um, this condition where she can barely speak um, and her uh, uh, she she acts uh, more like a person the age of maybe six or seven would act. So she's stunted in many ways. Um, we're led to believe she was born that way, but I certainly uh, that I think 
possibly you could interpret it uh, a different way that she wasn't born that way, but became that way. Hmm. A blow Some, to the head? I don't know. Yes, uh, something was afoot. Something was rotten and dead, Mark. But uh, regardless, it's it's a nice change of pace to see Patty Duke in a role like this if your only exposure to her was some of her earlier stuff. Because when I, when I saw Patty Duke, I was watching the reruns of her original show on Nickelodeon's later hours. It was called Nick at Night in those days. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, in a way, I experienced her similar to the way others did in the beginning of her career. I saw that TV show. But uh, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, Toppy and I were talking backstage that one of the things this film pulls off well is the suspense, the thrills. You're on the edge of your seat because you don't know what that creepy relative is going to be up to next. And they don't have to do it with a bucket of blood. Uh, so true. And uh, talk about creepy performances. Um, Richard Thomas, who had already uh, done the pilot TV movie uh, for the Waltons, it was called The Homecoming, A Christmas Story, um, did this movie against type and... Uh, Richard Thomas, who was so beloved as John Boy in this movie, the first second you look at him, you go, hmm, stay away from that guy. Right. Uh, so he really, it is a treat. He is so good um, in this uh, creepy role. And, of course, uh, you, you can't uh, not mention how super good uh, the uh, Rosemary Murphy character is uh, of the mother and the title role. Uh, Rosemary Murphy um, is really excellent. The dialogue in this movie is good. It is a slow burn movie. If you are someone who's only used to movies made after MTV, made fast cutting, like... <sighs> Just everything is done that way now. Uh, this movie may not be for you. You may not have the patience for it. I am very sad to say this movie is a slow burn. It is a psychological thriller. Um, but it is worth the watch. You know so. you know the moment that I realized that this is going to be a creepy film, Toppy? Hmm. When uh, the main character, Francesca is walking the halls of the the estate and uh you know in in the room there's a picture of a child on the wall there's a portrait and of course the portrait is of uh, richard thomas's character is a little boy yes, yes. it is a creepy portrait <laughs> yes it's it's almost like that picture in ferris bueller that they stare at in the museum where the child's eyes are just glowing and, uh, you know, you, you see the character of Kenny, Richard Thomas's character, before you meet him in a childhood portrait, and you just think, oh, <laughs> it is so true. So true. <laughs> so, Toppy, we have reached the, uh, the last few minutes of our show tonight. And I just wanted to mention quickly that when this movie came out in 72, the U.S. was still involved in Vietnam for another year. It uh, it our involvement began in, in uh, 
after JFK was assassinated in 63, and it lasted for a decade, and we didn't get out until after Nixon resigned. So um, now we move on to a part we call our snack tray, and this is where we recommend other programs that you might like if you enjoy films like you might you'll like my mother. So I'll go ahead and uh, mention my picks. Uh, another film from 72, and this was this was a find. I never knew this existed even, but it stars television heartthrob Tom Selleck. And it's a film called Daughters of Satan. Uh, <laughs> with that name alone, it uh, strikes my interest. But basically, the main character uh, finds a painting... And, um, well, you know, it ensues from there. People start going uh, batty. But uh, another film that I would recommend, especially if you like Patty Duke, because in many ways she's America's sweetheart because, you know, she spoke about her problems, so we became aware of them. Uh, She raised awareness. A film that I enjoyed came out in 1990. It was a TV movie because, you know, Patty Duke was a television star. But it's called Always Remember I Love You, and it's a, it's a very heart heartening story. Basically, Patty Duke's character is a woman who loses her child uh, when it's out playing one day. It's it's you know uh, it, it, a toddler basically. Her little boy is abducted from I, I forget if it's a playground or if it's just her backyard and her child goes missing and for years she tries to find him now she finally does through a series of events but the spoiler alert yes but uh, her son has grown up with uh, adoptive parents <gasps> and never knew that he was actually not legally adopted he was stolen I bless it all I remember this TV movie uh, it was just gorgeous because there are scenes where um, it's the holidays and, and, and basically the boy is faced with a decision. Does he stay with the people who he has known as his parents who have never mistreated him or does he go back to his biological mother who has been yes. missing him this all, all these years? I haven't thought of that damn movie. In all these years, um, and and I saw it there in your notes, DJ, and that didn't make me, but your description, I remember that. So let me go on and give you some of my picks. And it's almost like Toots in the chat room was reading my notes here. Uh, He put a a portrait, because I think we were talking about creepy portraits. He put a portrait of uh, Barnabas Collins (laughs) in the chat room. Uh, Certainly a creepy portrait. But uh, this, uh, you'll like my mother, is, uh, if nothing else, uh, the perfect um, structure uh, and embodiment of what we have come to be known as a genre called the gothic suspense novel or the gothic thriller. Um, but the, uh, and certainly Dark Shadows was inspired. Dan Curtis, the creator, wanted to make a soap that was a gothic suspense soap. Um, and um, one of my recommendations right here in my notes is watch uh, the first 30 episodes, at least, of Dark Shadows. Not 
when they find Barnabas, which is so, when so many of the collections start, the soap went, uh, had about 178 or more episodes before Barnabas ever set foot in it. And I'm asking you to go and watch the first 30 episodes at least uh, from day one of Dark Shadows when it was purely a gothic suspense story. Um, also, um, in that genre, look at the original movie versions of Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights. My favorite, Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, the epitome of a gothic thriller or suspense movie. Uh, more recently, mm, Edward Scissorhands, mm -hmm. Sleepy Hollow. Um, eh, yeah, and even hell, if you gotta watch the damn thing, uh, Dark Shadows, the 2012 movie, <laughs> those were all uh, Johnny Depp movies, by the right. way. Uh, not that I'm uh, ballyhooing uh, him, but uh, but certainly Sleepy Hollow and Edward Scissorhands really kind of fit the mold of that gothic gesh. And those are my recommendations. You know, a uh, side tangent, because you've mentioned Johnny Depp. I have to say this. One of my favorite Johnny Depp movies is a film that's a beautiful story about being a father figure. And it's called Finding Neverland. And it's the story of the author who wrote Peter Pan. He, he, fell in, he fell in love with a woman who had children from a previous marriage. I do believe she was a widow. And her children fell in love with him before she did. <laughs> All right. I'm laughing because Toots in the chat room is begging us <laughs> not to watch the Johnny Depp Dark Shadows oh. movie. <laughs> ah, I don't blame you, Toots. Uh, it's the last thing of Dark Shadows I would recommend. Anyways, uh, uh, we have reached the end, and we have to uh, find out what our next viewing topic is going to be. The way we do that, kids, is we've got a bag of magic coins that was left behind by a, th a roving uh, magician way back in the vaudeville days of the marionette th theater. And uh, we've, we've discovered something highly unusual. Uh, haul out them coins, uh, DJ. Okay. Good, good. I put it in the scumball machine. Stop. And there you go, DJ, a little capsule uh, that tells us our next topic. Okay. So our next show is going to be on Friday, October 4th, and we're featuring a special guest, Baltimore area entertainer, cosplayer, Demanda Martini. We're going to be discussing a mid-90s romantic comedy set amidst the drama of a Beverly Hills high school. This film stars a young Alicia Silverstone in her first leading role, along with newcomer Brittany Murphy. Grab your sensible shoes and a charge card. We're discussing Clueless next time on Matinee Minutia. All righty. Uh, so as you, as you can see, on Matinee Minutia, we are not stuck to any particular genre. We travel across the board 
uh, in search of interesting movies and movie trivia. So uh, that's a, a wonderful choice, and uh, it'll be a treat having a Demanda uh, with us uh, to uh, tell us about it. All right, so we're going to say good night to our people in the chat room. Good night, folks. Yes, indeedy. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, uh, Tommy. And that's... <laughs> uh, we are very happy you joined us and hope you all again. Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univospods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.